0: It is um, It's good to be here with you again um, after being sick for two weeks or so, but I'm here now. This was supposed to be preached on Christmas, but uh, we take it today instead. It's a bit funny. Um, I prepared something in advance for the text that came true before I got here, in a sense. Um, I prepared to say something about this text meta talk about it, like Mm -hmm. talking about why we chose this text, because it's a a pretty judging text, and it's a pretty dark text in a sense, because it's just judgment, judgment, defilement, sin. And um, like, why would we preach on that on a New Year's Eve service or or would have been a Christmas Eve service had that come to pass. And Christmas my, what did I say? Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Well, hey. <laughs> but my, my father-in-law beat me to it yesterday um, as I sat there preparing the finish, to finish off. So he, he asked what I was preaching on. And I said, I'm preaching on legalism and hypocrisy and vain worship. And he says, why? Why do you do that? Do you follow like a church calendar? or I know Lutherans do. They have already in advance, they have prepared every Sunday with three texts that the, the, the priest ought, almost must, preach from. So they're, in a sense, bound by the church here. So he thought, maybe, maybe you're the same in Presbyterian churches. And, um, and I don't know how familiar you are with the life of the reformer, John Calvin. It's a study, his life, and many of the reformers and church fathers and mothers, and it's well worth studying for yourself another time, but he, um, he produced great materials, great teachings, and um, there was no lack, lack of controversy in his life. He was a Protestant reformer, teaching and preaching in the city of Geneva in Switzerland. And at the time of the Reformation, there was a lot of debating and even military fighting between the Protestants and the Catholic side on which church was the true church. Um, Calvin got banished from Geneva by the city council at one point, and uh, and after a while, um, some Catholics wanted to sway the city back to Catholicism, but the the city was pretty. There were happy to be protestants but they couldn't they didn't they didn't have the know-how or the will to defend it so they after three years called calvin back like hey can you come back and help us i know we we banished you but that's in the past right (laughs) he came back uh to the city to the church he pastored and after three years the text he preached was the one after where he left off (laughs) <laughs> so why this funny little story to begin with and why I use time on this Calvin could have picked a special text in a sense it's, it was his first day back I could have picked a special New Year's text about new resolutions or looking ahead or something Calvin could have, if he wanted he could have preached on something on turning the other cheek or reconciliation or Christian humbleness but he continued where he left off because he wanted to let the scripture determine the heading of the sermon. Today's no different. Uh, we continue in Mark where we left off, and in in some sense, I I I didn't look forward to it. This text, in a sense, um, as a preacher, you could be tempted to skip some verses because they're controversial or even dark or bleak or you know that the tone of the text is not as we want in a sense we want it to be <coughs> happy clappy and joyful and righteous and holy and wonderful but this text is far from it so i'm i'm forced in a sense to preach this text because i'm I'm commanded by God to preach the whole counsel of God. So if you if I upset you this morning by what I say don't blame me. <laughs> I'm innocent to the flood of all as Paul says. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> this text will be very in the negative. It's very judgmental. It's you are not you are not doing these things defile. Everything is in the negative. We like when the Bible says, do this, do this and live. Be like this. But this is very don't, 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 don't. We will see through the text, we will deal with many unpleasantries, such as legalism and hypocrisy. And uh, this has generally been expressed of or by the scribes and the Pharisees. And today's text is no different. But let us use this text this new year to reflect on our own lives and see if we are not also sometimes scribes and Pharisees. Just as a mi- reminder, the Gospel of Mark, or according to Mark, is a fast-paced doc- document, drama, in three parts. We're in Act 1 now, where Jesus is going around the regions of Galilee, preaching, teaching on the kingdom of God and for repentance. And as he is the messia- messianic king, And uh, he goes around teaching us how to be worthy of that kingdom. So there's an aspect of worthiness in our text today by becoming his disciples. And we ought to see this worthy versus non-worthy in this text today. We're getting close to Act 2. It's just a chapter away where we'll make a turn in Mark where Jesus will reveal physically to his disciples that he is God. But first we have a sort of final Um, um, final judgment on the Jewish Galilee before Jesus leaves the Jews in judgment as a prior text covered when Jesus said if they don't hear your message if they don't obey what you say shake the dust off your feet off them as a sign to them for judgment last time in Mark we saw how Jesus came to the disciples on the water and how he let them go through the storm and how he quieted the storm These these disciples, as us today, did not understand everything about who Jesus was, is. They did not fully understand the concept of defilement, as we will see. And this is in connection to worthiness, will be the focus of today's text. I've titled the message, Worship from Purified Hearts. Or a longer title, True Worship Comes from Purified Hearts. True worship comes from purified hearts. And based on the structure of the text, I will deal with this in two major points, dealing with this cleanliness and defilement aspect. We will look at, first one, clean hands can worship in vain. Clean hands can worship in vain. And second, we will look at defiled hearts cannot worship at all. Defiled hearts cannot worship at all. I'll then try to paint a positive picture as with developing a photo you deal with the negatives of the picture and this text today is a very negative in a sense but we'll try to show by contrast the positive at the end. So we will see what is clean, what is purified. <coughs> clean hands can worship in vain. Our texts open up with the Pharisees. They have walked from Jerusalem about 90 miles or 145 kilometers. That's the same distance as Stavango to Bergen. So they've walked this distance to confront Jesus, or this Jesus even. Religious tension is building, and uh, all this because Jesus says or does, what he does is fracturing the religion of the day. The leaders, they want nothing of it. And as we see here, it is true to say religion, but also not. The definition of religion is uh, a personal set of institutionalized or system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. So in a sense, it's what you do in religion Or, as you can also say, man's study about God. I don't know if you've heard the term, now that escalated quickly. Well, it's about to. Jesus has several times called called out the Pharisees and the scribes and shown people that he knows better than them who God is and what God calls them to do. And we'll see that this religious tension will escalate here as Jesus is going to say to the Pharisees, that they're not studying God. They're not doing that aspect of religion. They're not studying God. And although they have self-beliefs, they strictly hold to, they worship in vain. This is the first point we'll deal with. Hypocrisy, lip service, and man-made traditions in this text. <laughs> so Jesus and his disciples, they've crossed, they've crossed the Sea of Galilee, remember, the one Jesus walked on and stilled, and how people came all over to be healed. They drug people on beds, however they could get them to Jesus in the protest, that even the shadow and even just touching the fringe of his garment would heal him, heal them. And here comes the Pharisees and the scribes, and they see the disciples of Jesus eating food without washing their hands. And they're like, Jesus, oh, it's on now. We're going to get you. They're constantly trying to trick Jesus, trying to get him to say something wrong or catch him in something he did to discredit him. One preacher put the instance like this. Jesus, you call yourself a, a prophet, yet you do not understand something as basic as ceremonial washing. Understand, this is not the washing before you eat which is always good but it was a very ceremonial washing an observant Jew would practice this ritual washing before every meal or at least all the Pharisees and those who held strictly to it some would wash between every course of the meal and uh, there was this washing prayer um you have sanctified us by the laws and commanded us to wash our hands. It's a part of a prayer. And first they had to point their hands upwards and wash, and water had to trickle down and then I had to wash. And then I had to do it again, hands facing downwards. And it was very elaborate. And it was not the washing, it was the c- cleanliness of it. that was the religious cleanliness of it priests had to wash their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle in the old testament but this was something else this was something that the pharisees had made into almost nutrition for all unscripturally so so then when they they accuse jesus they say why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands and uh, the punchline is, is here is according to the tradition of the elders not according to Scripture. I've read that some really strict Jews would get excommunicated if they didn't practice this. They said that even bread eaten with unwashed hands in this ceremonial way, it was worse than eating dung. So bread eaten without this cleanliness ritual first was almost worse than eating excrements. There was one who one rabbi was imprisoned by the Romans and he used up almost all his water ration. Instead of drinking it, he used this to ceremonially wash his hands and he almost died for it. And he was held as a, as a hero, hero of the faith because he washed his hands in this elaborate way. <coughs> this all to show what their sin was. As this point is called, clean hands can worship in vain. The rabbis who confronted Jesus, they confronted him about the ceremonial washing, and they thought they were serving God. They thought they were serving God by rooting out this false prophet who didn't even hold to the traditions of the elders. I've told you in earlier sermons that in Mark that the scribes and Pharisees, they made fences, in the sense, around the law. So they had the law of God. And they made extra boundaries around the law to make sure that they didn't break it. So the law, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. They thought, hey, if you shouldn't w- walk, if, if you shouldn't work, you shouldn't even carry a handkerchief because that's work, right? So if you wanted to transport a handkerchief, you can bind it around yourself, like wearing it, take it to where you wanted it, take it off, and that would be... Sort of a loophole, you didn't work because you wore it. Some said it, there was a distance you can cover on a Sabbath. You could walk a Sabbath day journey, which was about a kilometer. <clears throat> but if you stashed personal items along the route, they defined that as wherever you had your possessions, that would be, in a sense, your home. So you could walk even further without exceeding this one kilometer because you could walk from your house to your other dwellings without it being work. So you could walk all through the city as long as you made sure to only like touch. Oh, that's my book. Okay, now I can continue walking for a little bit. Okay, that's mine. Oh, I forgot to place it. I cannot walk any further. So to, in a sense, keep holy, not work, they made all these elaborate schemes in a sense too to get around it they made their own traditions more important than the word of god don't work have a day of rest and worship they made into how much work can i get to do while still outwardly looking as i'm not working So they kept their traditions rather than the word of God. And continuing on, we'll see that they did, not truly, they did not truly follow God. They didn't truly observe or worship God because all they did was to clean their hands. They didn't worship him. They cleansed their hands. They kept their traditions of men. Matt mentioned in the sermon a while ago about a hypocrite that it was a one who wears the mask, a uh, hypocritus. And it was used to describe actors in a play. You wouldn't use your face to do it. You would put on a happy face, and you could take it off. You can put on a sad face or anger face and take it off, all based on what the character was playing. A hypocrite was one who pretends to be something that he's not, doing the talk but not the walk. And these Pharisees, they were walking around with a religion face. Showing piousness, godliness, while lacking it. Jesus several times in the Gospel says that they are whitewashed tombs. Only looking the part, but being defiled, being dead even. But they looked nice while being so. And he says that they pray long prayers only to be heard. others. Or as the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the pious religious man, they point their noses high in the air, away from the poor, sick, bruised Samaritan, they're not defiling themselves by touching this unclean man, and by so doing, they're serving God in such a high and religious and wonderful way, they think. They looked religious and they had clean hands. But as we will see, Jesus shows that it's more important with clean hearts. Where are we on that? Do we look to behavior instead of character? Are we quick to judge based on what we see around us? Let us not be so. Let's search our hearts and see if it's true about us. We must all be aware of this religious arrogance in the sense not that i'm saying that everyone does it but let's be cautious about it that we don't fall into it and i'm preaching to myself as well i need to check my heart several times a week because we are all sinners we're still having that fleshly part still working as one i read said it may be that you that you will see in your quest for clean hands which is a good thing in a sense you still have a dirty heart, and it's the heart that is the most important thing. They were also legalists, so both hypocrites and legalists. Legalism is when we think we can earn the favor of God by keeping the law. If we say God's words tell us to love our enemies, that is one thing. That is God's law. But if I then say to you, you must all do this by always offering to be taxi drivers to all those who dislike you, then I am putting yokes upon you. I am the legalist. If I say God's law says this, and it does so, you ought to keep it. If I say that means then you must do this, to be religious, to be Christian, then that's dangerous waters that I should tread careful in. I would try to make you not keep only the law by adjuring you to love your enemies, but by adding to the law on how you should do it or ways to do it, adding to the law of God. And this is something that even well-meaning Christians can't fall into doing. I know that in Norway here after the war, there was a lot of legalism going around, and you probably heard it from wherever you come from too. Don't dance, don't play cards, don't do this, don't wear makeup, don't do this. Now, many don't do's kind of started out as a good place. Don't dress inappropriately. Don't watch movies that tempt you to sin or lust. Good. But legalism is both trying to earn God's favor by doing not just the law, but also more than the law of God. But also majoring in the minor things and forgetting the true essence of the law. The major problem with legalism, R.C. Sprawl says, is that it's a subtle form of idolatry. It elevates that which is human above that which is divine. It substitutes human traditions, policies, and regulations for the very word of God. This is what the scribes in the first it did. They were the most righteous per- people of all but we will see that they missed the mark completely by doing what they thought was the best. In verse 6, Jesus says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And he continues to say that they, they leave the commandments of God. It's not the commandment like you leave this, you leave the commandment of God aside and follow. No, it's the accusation of God of Jesus to them. He says that you're leaving off the commandments of God to do the commandments of men instead. It's like you. This is what idolatry is: pushing aside God and erecting instead something human. He says Jesus says that this is what they did. And Jesus is pointing back to Isaiah 29 text that we read this morning. And he tells them that they were worshiping in vain because their hearts are far from the Lord, even though they profess to be holy, all the while doing so. Definitely hypocrites. Having lofty and noble talk, but it comes not out from the heart. Not only, not only do they teach the commandments of men, but they do it instead of the commandments of God. Jesus says here that the commandments of God are true, they are right, but the hypocrites leave them to follow man's tradition instead, which is blasphemous. They were fully committed, these scribes and Pharisees, but to the traditions of men instead of the commandments of God. They were zealous. They were acting right. They were vigorous in their doing. They did it with all their might. They were sincere, but the problem is that they were sincerely wrong in what they did. They worshipped in vain because it didn't come from the heart, and in a sense it was not even directed at God, but towards their fellow men to be seen by all doing so. Jesus continues in verse 9 you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and many such things you do. This is the fifth commandment that they're breaking. You should honor your father and mother, father and mother. Sorry. That was also by taking care of them in their old age. It was to support them financially, and in every sense, to, to ca- take care of their parents. That was was assumed of them. That was uh, what they ought, they should do. That was what they were commanded to do. But they are trying to wiggle their way out by trying to, they, they were breaking the commandment by wiggling themselves around it thinking that we can be smart about this whatever you have gained from me or supposed to get from me I'd rather give to the temple or to God because that's more holy so the practice of it would be that they would promise they would almost write a will and say when I die everything I have goes to the temple and then it couldn't be given to someone else you could keep it for yourselves as long as you lived. You could spend your money. You could, they could live as they had. But they were let off paying for their family. They were not, they were not required to support their own fathers and mothers. Because what was Corbin was sanctified to God. shouldn't be given to men. But the one who promised it, they could spend it as they, as they liked. The promise was, whatever else, well, whatever I have left when I'm done will be given to God. And in so doing, they thought it was so holy. They would give everything to the Lord when they were done spending it. They could still shop with it. They could invest with it. it, They could buy their houses with it. But in that sense, they locked money with themselves so that they could say, Well, I've promised my money to to the temple, to God. I cannot... Sorry mom, dad, I can't help you, it's God's money. It was a fee you could pay to get out of it in a sense, but that was pretty costly. So they were religious hypocrites, legalists. It's like the three ways of legalism. First, you can be justified in God's sight by keeping the law. Second, by binding others to do the same. And the third one, like this, this loophole legalism. They were setting aside the commandments of God with feigned godliness. They only acted godly. But they were, by doing so, Jesus says that they make the laws of God ineffective, making them void. Void is like a depthless pit, it's like it's nothing. You're making God's law nothing. And many such things they did. They tried to set aside the law of God, yet give them the impression that they actually kept it. To conclude this first point, this point of, the point of this portion is that Jesus points out their failure to worship rightly. He said that you might well and good wash your hands, but your hearts are defiled. One grave mistake is to follow the letter of the law or even letter of the commandments that men give. So it's one thing to follow the letter of the law. It's another thing entirely to follow new laws that man makes to try to be better than God. Like, well, I know God said don't do this, but what that really means is don't do this, 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 this at the same time. That's much better. were three ways of legalism. They thought they could worship God by following the law and so earn their salvation. They tried to bind others to it and they tried to get away the law by keeping their, keeping their traditions instead. They were cleaning their hands but not their hearts and so with clean hands they worshiped in vain. That's the main problem with legalism, trying to worship God with lip service and not with heart service. Hands and lips, they were so close to God, so clean, so immaculate. the right words, the right time, but it came out of a rotten heart. Everywhere in the Bible, we command to follow God with a pure heart. Rend your heart and not your garments, Joel says. It's not about the outward showing of doing a thing, but the inward mot- motivation for doing it that counts traditions are good yes but if they come to conflict with god's law then it means that man's word must yield let's follow god with clean hands yes but the main thing is the heart let's follow god with a clean heart and at the same time don't be a hypocrite don't say you do one thing while you're doing another the heart then what defiles the heart which is my second point, defiled hearts cannot worship at all. So clean hands can worship in vain, but in a sense they can can worship. But defiled hearts cannot worship at all. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you. And understand, he's addressing the people, the disciples, the the Pharisees, the scribes. And he tells them that whatever comes into you cannot defile you. Speaking of the defiled bread. But only what comes out of a person can defile him. And afterwards, the disciples are asking, what does this mean? What do you mean by this? Then are you also without understanding? you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled thus he declared all, f- all foods clean verse 20 and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him <laughs> Jesus turns to the crowds and says that whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him not his hands not his it says that when they came home from the market, they had to wash themselves. It's like going to Quadrat, going, having to shower when you come home every time. Well, yes, I, I don't think Quadrat is the cleanest place, but they had to do it ritually to cleanse off the ungodliness of Quadrat. Not that, I, not, not that I condone anyone from shopping at a shopping mall, but this is what they did. They ritually cleansed themselves every time they came home from the market. So his disciples asked what do you mean by all this and certainly at first glance I I don't get it in a sense like whatever goes into you cannot defile you but only what comes out like what do you barf what do you I, I don't want to get I don't want to take that too far but so Jesus explains it to them more fully he rectifies the situation among the crowds says that this is how it is Basically saying, the, the traditions of men. Drop those, because you cannot be defiled by what goes into you because it doesn't touch your heart on the way. So he sets aside, he puts the rest, the rabbinical system of ritual purification for most people. To the disciples in private, he says, "Are you also without understanding?" And he says, "Are you other?" translation says are you also so dull that you don't understand this but in explaining it Jesus could have been no clearer do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled you eat it it goes into your system and it leaves your system to put it simply Everything that we do, even by, yet everything that we do, even as drinking a glass of water, the Bible says, we should do it unto, unto God's glory. So we shouldn't be flippant about it. But Jesus says that it's not the stomach that defiles you, but the heart. So eating a certain way could not produce righteousness, and it couldn't reduce, produce defilement either. Outer impurities could not produce inward impurity. So, what was outside couldn't defile your insides. But inner could defile outer, in a sense. Jesus then goes on to to flesh it out more fully. Whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come within, and they defile a person. This list of 13 evils is not necessarily the full extent of evils, but it does show the origin of it. Or as Spurgeon once said, the source from which these rivers of pollution proceed is the natural heart of man, Sin is not a splash of mud that hits a person. It's not that sin falls on you or sp- it gets splashed upon a, a person. It's a, it's a river. One said that it's a river of sin that comes from the heart of man. It's not something that happens. It comes from him. One commentary said that every outward act... Everything you do, everything you say, has first been an inward choice. Every sin that goes out is first an inward choice. We choose to sin because in the moment of sinning, we want to sin. many, Many things can contribute to it. You can say, well, I was angry, or I was tired, or I was stressed, so I did this. But at the the time of doing it, you wanted to do it. Every sin you commit is always first a thought. This is what I mean by this text is not the happiest. The Pharisees meant that washing the outward was enough. It's like trying to wipe up water from the floor while the sink is still pouring. You cannot Take away the result of it with first dealing with a source. Doing good deeds, refraining from some food, cleaning pots, cleaning tables, couches, pans, hands. Does not prevent staining because the heart is poured out, good and bad. In the TULIP acronym we've mentioned before is the first, total, total depravity. It's not that man is as bad as he can get, but it's that the totality of mankind is depraved. Or as Sproul once said, man is radically corrupt in his nature by himself. Proverbs 23, 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thoughts enter the head, the brain, some stay, some go. But those that enter the heart, they define us. For good or for worse, regarding sin, Martin Luther once said that you cannot prevent the bird from flying above your head, but you can prevent the bird from nesting in your hair. You cannot prevent the thought from coming, sinful thoughts, even. You cannot, you cannot prevent them from coming to you. The world, the devil, sin, flesh—you always, in this world, will have thoughts. We cannot prevent a thought, but we can shoo it away. We can make a pleasant nest for godliness instead of for righteousness. We can occupy the head and the heart with good things instead. And so easier, shoo away the bad birds, in a sense. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We are defined by our heart, and so cleansing our hands will do nothing for the condition of the heart. If the heart is evil, there are evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, deceit, pride, foolishness, and all these others. first six are evil acts, the last six are evil attitudes. Evil thoughts, the root of all evil, adultery, which is illicit sexual behavior by married people, fornication, any illicit sexual activity, Murder, the taking of another man's life or hating the person as Jesus says, murder is not just the act of killing, but the thought of or planning of doing it or wanting to. Again it's not the happy text. Theft, taking something that doesn't belong to you, coveting, craving what is another's wickedness, deliberate acts of meanness, deceit, cunning evil for personal advantage. Sensuality, unrestrained, sec- shameless behavior. Envy or jealousy, looking what others have and wanting them not to have it, but you have it instead. Slander or blasphemy, damaging or defaming speech. Pride, look at me, I'm so great. The opposite, opposite of humility. Foolishness, morally and spiritually desensitized. You're not even sensitive to what you're doing. Clean hands can worship, but it's in vain because God abhors it. Defiled hearts will drive you away from worship. So what hope is there for any? Where's our hope in this bleak negative text? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old have passed away; behold, the new has come. This has, happens as a fulfillment of Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh instead. I ended in the instead. Are you guilty of some or several of these sins that I've listed? Turn and live. Repent. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 says, I want to read a portion of the Old Testament text again. It starts off saying that In vain you worship me, God says to Jacob, to Israel, to the people of God. But it says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing. The scoffer sees, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off by word. Make a man out of to be an offender, lying, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. And there's later it says, Jacob shall be no more ashamed. No more shall his p- sh- face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Proverbs 15.8 says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination, Proverbs 28, 9 says. But God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. His prayer, his repenting, is a joy to God. Let me end with Mark 7, verse 16 in our text. Jesus says, And heed them. If you have ears to hear, hear. And it's like he's saying, are you a hypocrite, pretending, a legalist, trying to work around God's commandment? Do you have a defiled heart? Hear the gospel in Mark. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Defilement, worthiness. There is only one worthy one, and his name is Jesus He's the Christ, the Savior. Turn to him and have your heart, your life, cleansed. Then and only then can we truly worship God. Let us pray.